Ace Podcast. Tell me, Paul, what do you see? I see the woman I'm going to marry. Promise me. Promise me if anything should happen to me. Nothing's going to happen. No, promise me still. You'll take care of Chelsea. Of course, I promise. And I love you. Blood and Black Rum Podcast presents Death Wish 5, The Face of Death. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from the MoviesDeadWorld.net. I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. How's it going? He just took a sip of beer, so he's a little late on the delivery there. But uh, So, um, we're back. We took a week off last week. Unfortunately, within the uh, Death Wish series, we kind of had to do a little hiatus. Uh, had a family emergency, so really, we weren't able to record and podcast uh, for last week. And if you don't really know behind the scenes for the show... We do everything the week that you hear it, <laughs> so it, we're not like working in the into the future or anything like that. It's it's basically when this podcast episode goes up, we did it like the night before or somewhere around there, it's like South Park. That's right. Yeah, five, yeah. We don't work. We five, don't five days to air. It's one wow, one day. Dude. Yeah, three hours. We don't we don't work in advance. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it it makes it tough if like we're really busy or something, but. Uh, you know, shit happens, and last week, unfortunately, we were not able to finish our Death Wish series, and so that kind of pushed it back our plans that we had talked about, uh, including doing something for Valentine's Day, uh, which has already come and gone now, if you're listening, um, and some of the other stuff that we had planned on doing. So um, we pushed it back a little bit, but we're back today. Gonna keep plugging on. That's right. We're going to do Death Wish 5, The Face of Death. And that's going to finish out our Death Wish series. Uh, it's the last movie in the series, and as we get into it, you'll understand why. <laughs> uh, that it's the de- the last Death Wish film. Um, yeah, I mean, you said you've seen it before. I've never seen it before. You couldn't remember it. No, um, not at all. I've always seen it once. And, I mean, I understand why you couldn't remember it. It's not a very memorable film. Like, you're not going to come away from this thinking... Wow. <laughs> nothing nothing will jump out of you in this no. film. I mean, I just watched it and really nothing jumps out at me. Like we were trying to come up with an intro for the for the show like we normally do. And while Death Wish the series has had it's difficult to come up with a like a funny introduction anyway with the with the film series. Uh Death Wish 5 is really stretching it. It's like really hard to come up with like a line or a moment in the film where you can really throw that into the introduction and, and have people laughing about it. Cause there's just nothing in it that is memorable. Um, nothing jumps out. Dialogue is not so good, uh, <laughs> which we'll talk about later, but yeah, we had a really difficult time coming up with an introduction. Uh, so we re- we went basically with a really wooden performance from Charles Bronson, who has always been sort of wooden, but in death wish five, he's the most wooden. I think he's ever been. By far. Yeah. You know, it, it, 
he just he doesn't have any any inflection in his delivery. Almost like he doesn't care whatsoever. At he's got. He's finally lapsed into full not sociopath. He's now t- full psychopath. Yeah, just, just numb to everything. Yeah, he, he doesn't. He doesn't care about anything at this point. And um, we chose that uh, clip of him saying "I love you" to his his girlfriend, well, fiance actually in the film, because it has no emotion behind it. Just just totally no no emotion whatsoever. Doesn't. You know, nothing, nothing there to, to actually say, like, he actually loves this woman. And I said, really, you know, it's, he's already gone through four other women or so. So what's the difference here? Just another day. Another, That's right. <laughs> another day, another day in the life Doesn't of really... uh, Paul Kersey. Just... Ah, yeah. And I love too, the fact that we'll talk about more. It's just kind of like the fact that law enforcement's accepted. Like, oh, you're the guy that kills people. <laughs> What a scamp. Yeah. He's back in New York City in this film. And they they haven't forgotten about him. That's a key. They haven't forgotten they all know about, about this guy. Yeah. They know about him and they're like, hey, it's Paul Kersey. I We've heard about you before. At least like in the first He's two films. Yeah, no. First two films, they're like, oh, you know. Oh, can't have this guy doing this. Yeah. Now they're just like, hey, hey, how's it going? I know. Pauly. Paularino. I know. It's... Uh. It's pretty surprising. This is a terrible way to end the Death Wish franchise. It is a, it is a bad way to end the film. Um, franchise, just like... Yeah, the franchise in general. We'll talk about that, like, the reasons why behind that a little bit, but first, I want to kind of recap what we've done so far, because we've, we've done the first four Death Wish films, so I kind of want to talk about how we felt about each of them in general. So, Death Wish 1. Masterpiece. Probably the best out of the series. Not probably, it is. Yeah, but... yeah, it is. And um, even though I I wasn't like a a giant fan of that film, I thought it was pretty good and a good indication, uh, or not an indication, but uh, like a a good point in film history that you can kind of go to, sort of like what we talked about before, Dirty Harry, same concept. Uh, This is one of those films that you're going to refer to from that time period in the 70s and talk about. This was action exploitation at it, you know, at it, one of its best moments. So I think Death Wish one by far was probably our our favorite out of the. And I like it, and I like it more than you. I think it's yeah. Uh, I, and I and I'm not tossing around masterpiece loosely. I I really do think, and I can see where when you're coming from watching it, uh, seeing that it's got problems because it does. It's got some problems with it but i think overall it's a very good film i think it's well done i think as you said it encapsulates especially the early 70s and that like vigilante exploitation genre perfectly i think it's definitely one that like you know again like when you think of the big like vigilante films where are they as you said dirty harry Mm -hmm. uh taxi driver death wish those are the big three yeah and i don't I mean, although I don't think Death Wish is as good as the other two, I don't think it's as bad either. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I think Taxi Driver's the best out of them all. But again, I think I think they're all great. So, yeah. so Death Wish one, very good film. We moved to Death Wish two, which is probably one of the worst in the series, and Death Wish five, which we'll we'll soon discuss, may be worse than Death Wish 2. It's a kind of a toss-up between the two. But Death Wish 2 
really moves from vigilante to revenge at that point and is sort of a loose copycat of the first one but trying to trying to be a little bit more action oriented and it doesn't work very well doesn't it doesn't it's terrible doesn't work at all the only thing that's really good about it is Jimmy Page's opening score for mm. the film yeah everything I else, about that. everything else I, I have not um and <laughs> Everything else about the film is um, misplaced, mistimed, mm-hmm. misread, just, you know, inappropriate. Like, inappropriate use of score throughout the entire <laughs> film. <laughs> that's it, right. That's it, yeah. the eclectic score that's just all, all over, over the place. Yeah. And the, right. at each scene and every second of the film, so there's, like, not a moment of silence to be found. And mm. um, it's very taxing and daunting. Uh, it doesn't help in that film. Everybody in the film is totally boring and wooden, except Lawrence Fishburne, who has a very minor role in yeah. it. And, yep. Um, but overall, it's it's literally they took the first film, put it in L.A., and just said, "How can we take everything that was good about the first film and make it sh- fucking god awful?" That's right. That's right. Yeah, they they definitely took the wrong step in making that film, and it did happen years later. So, yeah, there's yeah. part of that, but, um, yeah, more so, it's just a bad film altogether. Uh, Death Wish 3, step up, actually. Fun. Yeah. Uh, surprising, because you're not really expecting that it gets incrementally better from Death Wish 2. You're thinking, oh, wow, well, you know, Death Wish 2 was bad. Same director, it's probably going to be worse. And at the same time, though, it's kind of like, it can't get any worse. Cause That's Death, true, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but again, though, I mean, after Death Wish 2, it's like, you've hit rock bottom. Yeah. And Death Wish 3 is like full-blown parody mode now of the Death Wish franchise already, and it's campy, it's corny, it's over-the-top, it's cheesy, but it's fun. Yeah. And it's enjoyable. Like, Kersey's gone from being your average common Joe who's just fed up with muggers and rapists in New York City to a guy that's running around with a fucking machine gun mowing down and blowing up half of fucking Brooklyn. Yep. Just because this gang's out of control there. And it's great. It it's, is, yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of uh, just action scenes for the hell of it. The whole, uh, the whole last 15 minutes is just yeah. one big fucking yeah. shootout. And I, I think a lot of people would, would find that film fun because there's not really much downtime to it. And that's kind of what you're, you're looking for in the, like an 80s action film. Like you're not really expecting it to be like heavy on storyline and, you know, very in-depth. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think this is a, it's a, like a perfect action film from the 80s. If you're looking for something like that. And, and you can't, you can't even say, look. and you can't even say over all these films that Paul Kersey as a character has grown. He hasn't. The first film, especially in all the descriptions that you read, it, they they don't say that Paul Kersey is just a regular guy. They're like he's a bleeding heart liberal. Yeah. And it's like when you watch the film, it's like, no, not, not really. No, he's yeah. just your guy who he was a conscientious objector in the Korean War. But I mean. No, and I mean so like I just if that's all you're to gain gleam from that that makes him a bleeding heart liberal. Yeah, I mean if it's not really there, but I mean if you just take his character from where he go- is and then where he goes to in the first film, that's his progression as a character, which makes in sense of that film. Yeah, 
throughout the franchise, though, no, yeah, there hasn't been any growth no, after Death no, Wish 1. There's it's... no growth, and I think that's probably something that's good about Death Wish 3, is that it doesn't really try at that point to, to make him seem changed or different. <laughs> it just kind of rolls with it. Um, Death Wish 4, which we, we covered last time. Um, the Crackdown. The Crackdown. Uh... It's not my favorite of the series. I really think that it's kind of stupid. It's fun. Again, like, yeah, Death, yeah. like Death Wish 3, it's fun. It is fun. I think I personally found it a little stupid because now he's acting like a spy. He's a hitman. Yeah, man. he's yeah. like a hitman that's just given orders for no reason, really, because we know we've seen him before act on his own to just do the same sort but of it, things. But I guess in the film's own twisted way, it's trying to argue, well, he's still a vigilante because, uh, somebody, you know, his. F- his significant other at the, this film's point, uh, daughter died of fucking crack overdose. So, yeah. you know, him taking on these hits, it's not, he's not really a hit, man. He's, yeah. you know, he's still a vigilante, even though it's not the case. But I still, like, De- Death Wish 3, I think it's fun. And I just love the fact that over the, from Death Wish 2 to De- this film, there's such a just overall tonal shift and change in direction. Like, each film. From like Death Wish two, three, and four, they all feel like they could just be standalone films. Yeah, that they don't have to be even connected to the Death Wish franchise. Yeah, no, it doesn't really need to be. Because <laughs> Death Wish, Death Wish four, it doesn't really need to be a Death Wish film. No, because it's just him being like all of a sudden now yeah. he's a hitman, yeah. just taking down drug lords. That's like a typical like that's like they they like they saw Miami Vice like let's make that into a low budget movie. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. Yep. And that takes us to Death Wish 5, The Face of Death, which we'll cover in uh, just a second, where we're going to take our usual break to talk about alcohol. What we're drinking. What we're drinking. So, I don't know if you've heard, but Sam Adams has had, for the past couple years now... It's really not like two, maybe three years now. Two or three, yeah. Uh, they've had this thing called the Rebel IPA. It's their West Coast style IPA that they have been making, and it's basically become their like regular IPA style. And so now, what, now they, they have like different versions of the Rebel series. I, like, I feel like they promote it more than they do their Boston Lager now. Yeah, like almost, it's, it's like, really almost, heavy. On like their... almost like they want that to be their flagship. Beer I guess, now. yeah. Which is sad because their Boston Lager is. It's really good, yeah. It's There's a the... reason why it's lasted so long, the Boston Lager. Yeah. Um, but the Rebel IPA, they, you know, they've been marketing it quite a bit. It turns up in some of their packs. You know, they have a actual Rebel pack right now that has like the Rebel IPA, Rebel Grapefruit, um, and some of the other ones too, like Rebel Rider maybe, I think. Rebel Rider, which yeah. is the, um, I believe the Rebel Rider is the session, the Rouser is the double. Is the double. Yep. They have, we've reviewed before, the Grapefruit <laughs> Rebel. Yep. They have a new one, the Juiced one, which yeah, is a citrus ju- mango juiced. juice in yeah. one, which I thought about picking that one up too, but I thought... We have not had that one. I thought about picking that up for the podcast, but I'm like, no, I want to get that, because we're going to Beer Fest next week, mm-hmm. next uh, on the 25th. Yep. And so... Saratoga Beer, beer Fest. Fest. So if you're in the area, hit us up. Let us know. Yeah. We'll meet up with you. We'll talk. Yeah. yeah. Hand out some cards. and That's right. Well, no, we don't have cards made up. I didn't make them up. Get on that. They're not going to be here in time. Hit up Staples. They got that. Yeah. Well, I was going to order from Vistaprint because they're cheap in there. 
They make they have good stuff. Actually, I may be able to order and may still get them. But anywho, I don't know what the, they're going to have. Either the Rebel IPA there, or they're going to have the juice. One of the two. Because I would assume, yeah, one of the two, or or both. <laughs> because well, that'd be sometimes la- they that'd bring be very, two. That'd be lazy. Uh, two rebels? You mean? Yeah. No. No. They usually yeah. have. Most places have like two. I don't think I've ever seen a beer uh, beer at the stand. Uh, beer stand that's only had one. Usually two's the yeah. least, four's usually the max. I think they'll probably have two, and they may, they'll probably go like um, a, like a spring beer that they have, and also the Rebel IPA. That's what I'm thinking. I almost probably, don't pro- think pro- that they probably have the, the, probably be the cold snap. Thing. I almost yeah, I don't. I almost don't think they're gonna have the juice there. To be honest with it's you, it's new though. That's why I'm thinking. Yeah, right, but. it's possible, but I don't know if they will. But anyway. Um, the Rebel IPA has apparently gone through a new transition for 2017. Uh, they do have a new label, a new look for the Rebel IPA bottle. Um, it sports a nice eagle silhouette on it. Uh, it's brewed for the revolution, as it says. And the revolution, I'm not sure what they're referring to. Are they referring to revolting against Donald Trump? Are they referring to I'm the New pr- England Revolution, the almost, soccer team? I would almost feel like uh, Jim they, Cook's probably for Donald Trump, probably putting some money in his coffers. I imagine. Yeah, I would think so too. Honestly, sorry, Jim Cook, if you if you are, I mean, maybe I, maybe he's a bleeding heart liberal, and we just pissed him off into or he you know, could be a moderate. total vigilante. You know, there is something mode. called a moderate. Is you know? there? Yeah. <laughs> Can there are, you be anymore? There are centrists still out there. <laughs> That's right. They're the true silent majority <laughs> <Yeah>. in today's. <laughs> In today's fucking oversaturated politicking online, but... Whatever the case, whatever brewed for the revolution means, um, the Rebel IPA has gone through a new look, and also, apparently, a new recipe. And, specifically, that's why Martin sought it out for this podcast episode. Because I believe we've already done the Rebel IPA on here once before, um... And again, like we said, I it's a had, very common Sam's. And I haven't had it probably since then. Yeah, it's been a while since I've had a Rebel. I think I actually ordered it in the in a restaurant on tap once not too long ago. But I've but to break it down, the Rebel IPA is a Western IPA, and the new formula tastes very similar to me. I don't taste the difference it's, from what I again, like yeah. I said, I, I'm I like. It. As I said, I haven't had it probably since then. Because, I mean, I, it's, and I've said it before in the podcast, I have nothing against IPAs. I, no. actually, I do like IPAs. I like IPAs. I but do I've been, often order different ones. But I have been IPA'd out. I'm kind of starting to get back into a more IPA mm-hmm. trend because I've stayed away from them for like about a year and a half for the most part. Um, so I'm more kind of like, when I see one now, I'm more like, oh, yeah, you know, have that because starting to get in the mood for them. Um, but just from what I remember, it literally tastes the same. Yeah, just I, like a very standard West Coast style IPA. I, I, uh, there's honestly nothing like that jumps out to me. That one makes this new recipe stand out from the old one. Yeah, and then not only that, but makes it even stand out as like an IPA. It's just kind of like yeah, it's there. I mean, I think it's good. I think it's all around a good beer. Um, and I've got to give Sam's the benefit of the doubt and say that yeah, they probably did change up their recipe a little bit. Um, I do feel like maybe there's a little bit more citrus forward, uh, taste to this. Um, maybe they're using the citra hop 
in this one. I, I'm not really sure. And I think that's part of the thing with this Rebel IPA is when you mark it, that it's got a new recipe. I mean, be, it's beer, a, beer Advocate says it's more intense, juicy, and tropical citrus. And I don't get, I don't really feel it's more citrusy or tropical. I do feel this, I get the citrus to it. Um, and maybe it's us. Maybe I, I will be the first to admit, I don't have a great deciphering palate. So when you, if you were to give me like beers with specific hops in them, I wouldn't be able to pick that out. I don't think. I, I, I can't I don't tell think, you like that's a, the specific hop that you're looking for. I don't think most people could unless they yeah. drink. Um, one of the reasons why um, Genesee is coming out with their smash beer, their single malt, uh, single hop beer is because, so it can focus on one hop and so that way people can like learn kind of. I honestly think that's what, a really good idea. Learn like what, like that certain hop yeah. characteristics are. And so then when you get like an IPA, it's got like four different hops in it. Then you'd be like, oh yeah, that does have like, you know, I yeah. taste that hint of hop and that hint of hop there. Too often we're combining so many hops together and just hopping the shit out of it with different kinds that you're not. Like, now our palates have a difficult time registering the specific hop that's in there. The specific taste of that one hop. So I think that's a great idea. Honestly. I mean, I, it's, it's the same as like having a single malt scotch. You're getting that single malt. You don't have to, your palate's not searching around like, whoa. Uh, what does that taste? I'm not really sure. Again, hickory here, yeah. shoe leather over I, here. I think that's a great idea, and I'm really excited to have styles like that. That are, and I, I wish that some other places would would do that. Is just go with that single hop. Like this is the Citra Hop IPA, and that's it. It's, it's only Citra Hop. Even if some of them aren't very good, because maybe certain hops I'll aren't buy, buy specifically though, yeah. designed to work as a single. I still think it's a good idea. I still would be no, I, all no, for it. No, I, I totally agree. Because again, yeah. that way you can understand. Like when if you try a more complex mm-hmm. hop beer, you then you know if you're drinking like a Dogfish Head 90 minute IPA, you can like yeah, oh yeah, I can taste the you know certain subtleties in the absolutely. I know I agree. I think it's a good idea. I think I'm I'm excited for that because I really do. I think that could be a selling point too. For breweries, it's like, all right, here's the one hop beer, and it has this specific hop in it. Now you're going to get even more different kinds of beers that you can market. You could yeah, even have an IPA pack, pack that's just nothing but single hopped IPAs. Yeah, I think it's a or, great or, idea. Or pale ales. I don't know why. Like, I don't know why people haven't done that before. I think it's a great idea. You know what? Let's we'll sell it to them. That's Fuck right. Them. Not just just uh, Boston Beer Company. We'll sell it to all of them and see which one picks it up. Like, you know, that's not a bad yeah. idea. Obviously, the logistics of it are difficult if you're a smaller brewer. You know, trying to have vats of, like, only single hops. But I think, it, I really do think it's a good idea. I think that more more should try doing that. Instead of just going balls out, like, we're going to put four. We're going to put five. Or this is seven hop. Yeah. I, I think it's a good idea. Every hop we have on the farm, we fucking threw in there. Yes. <laughs> but going back to the Rebel IPA, I don't think that it is different enough to really sell somebody on it now if they didn't really like the Rebel IPA before for whatever reason. It's it's just, I, I would need a side-by-side taste test to really decipher a difference between them, but I don't know that I could. I, I do feel it's a little bit more citrusy. Um... Other than that, though, I don't really see that much of a difference between the two. Still, I still like it. I'm not going to say I don't like it. I'm not going to say mean, it's a bad beer. No, I, I I agree with those thoughts, but at the same time, like again, would I get this? No, 
Mm. I just I would never go out of your way to get to get just the Rebel IPA again. No, no. If I was like at a restaurant though, and I asked for a Sam's, and that's all I had, then I would probably say like, okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, like, sorry, I I I would not be able to say I would go out and fucking shell the seventeen bucks on a twelve pack for Mm -hmm. that. I can't, Mm -hmm. can't do it. Can't do it. There's just other pale ales and IPAs out there that I just. Yeah, I've got to say that the allure of a regular IPA now has really kind of thrown me. I'm I'm not really interested in just a straight IPA anymore. I'm interested in trying those new flavors. Like uh, just yesterday, I went to Top Notch Tavern, which is a nice steakhouse in our area. And they had a really good beer selection, and I went for Dogfish's Flesh and Blood because, first of all, I'm a I'm a huge do- um, uh, Blood Orange fan, which is what Dogfish has in their Flesh and Blood. It's a, it's a Blood Orange IPA. Um, which I've never seen that around here before. So I mean, I've had one before, but it's not really common. So that's why I, another reason why I was like, yeah, I, I want to try that. Because it's not a common IPA style. I will say that I, that I definitely had an orange flavor to it. But a strong Blood Orange flavor, I wouldn't say it had that. I would I think really what the dogfish flesh and blood was doing was that it was the blood orange has kind of like a tartness and that tartness cuts the hot bitterness. Would you say it's better than the Sierra Nevada orange IPA we had like not that long ago? I would say it was different because as I say yeah. as, as, if when we talked about it when I brought when I brought it on the podcast a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago I said I I couldn't we couldn't fucking find that orange mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, it was buried in the hops. Yeah, I would say it's different. Um, I think that the, I think the orange does get lost a little bit in the hoppiness, but I think it's more so to cut that bitterness of the hops. I I thought the dogfish blood, flesh and blood was pretty good, to be honest with you. I I thought it it hit the spot. Um, so I would recommend that. Um, but again, I I wouldn't say that it has a super strong blood orange flavor to it. And I'm a huge fan of Blood Orange. That's disappointing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's still good. I would definitely recommend it. Um, reasonable prices there too. Six six fifty for a serious. beer, which is uh, pretty reasonable considering that it's a expensive steakhouse and an expensive beer. Yeah, yeah. I would say most dogfish around here, at least, is pretty expensive. Like if you were to get a six or twelve pack. Well, they don't have twelve packs around here. It's just uh, yeah. six of the four packs if they're the, you know, specialties. Specialties. Yeah, they're like thirteen bucks a pack. Yeah. Um. Um. The only other th- thing I've had interesting is um the other day I went to Druthers Brewery. Yep. Uh, for lunch with a friend and I had their Bach. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's um, I would compare it like. Uh, to Jenny's Bach actually quite a bit. Um, though it's much more maltier and kind of crisper, like a more. Refi- I would. It makes it sound like I'm bashing the Jenny Bach, which I love, but it's mm-hmm. it's it's more it's more refined in that quality. Mm-hmm. It's but like if you looked at it and drank it, it, it's it's basically tastes like a Jenny Bach, but it's just got like a slight slightly better maltiness to it, and it's a much more like crisper when you and I don't, and I I mean it like just and like it feels more. Feels hardier than like um, Jenny's Bach, where it's much more like a, you can session it much easier. Mm. Um, it was really good. I liked it. And um, friend there got their um, it's not a scotch as I said, it's not a scotch ale, but it's like a scotch beer. Um, 
I took a sip of that. I didn't think too much of it. I thought it was just kind of didn't really have any flavor to it. But hmm. apparently, it won silver at the beer Olympics not that uh, this year. So hmm. what do interesting. I know? What do I know? <laughs> uh, in, in beer news, what I just saw today, Walmart has a lawsuit going on mm-hmm. right now. Do you see that? Because they yeah. were marketing craft beer when it really wasn't. Yeah, they have a craft beer line. Yeah, uh, not uh, just not just that, the not craft just, beer yeah. in quotation marks. Yeah, not just the Rockdale that we reviewed, which I've never seen. To be honest, no, they have. With you. Yeah, that cat like cats cats away IPA. I don't recall ever they, seeing that. They have it. Like it's not. It's not when you go like into our Walmart and they have like the beer and they have that side beer shelf with like the other craft beer. Yeah, like, mainly. That's that's what it's huh. on. Um. I always wondered who made that. Then I was, really, yeah, I was reading the article. I'm like, oh, so they make that stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're getting uh, in trouble because actually a company owned by Jenny makes that. And um, <laughs> they are marketing it as craft beer and it's really not because it's it doesn't have the qualifications leg- legally of a craft beer brewery. I love that they're so stingy. Like craft brewers are so stingy on that. Yeah. Like they take, like. Like, they take up in arms about that. Because I remember, like, last year when they were, like, talking about, like, all the craft breweries that are getting bought up by, like, Anheuser-Busch yep. and all that. And they're saying, like, you know, you're fucking destroying what it means to be craft. And I do like that. I do like in my own little hipstery way that they're like, no, that's not fucking craft. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're just, you're making an IPA that's, you know, good and stuff. Is, is it craft? No. Because that'd be like saying, you know, if you uh, went uh, and got a whiskey... And called it like single malt scotch, and it's not really single malt scotch. Right, you're yeah. gonna, you know, you're gonna get in trouble. You're getting with, in trouble yeah. for that because you're you're falsely marketing it. Yeah, people buying. Well, I think really the big thing with the Walmart beers is that they're upselling it for a subpar product. Really, I've never had it, so I don't I've know. never had it either. But I think that's really what it comes down to: is that you're you're buying a beer and ex- at a. Um, like a higher price, expecting it to be like better quality than it really ends up being. It could be good for all I know. It could be, yeah. And I've never had it, but that's that's from the article that I read. Mm. Um, so that's pretty interesting. I thought that was pretty funny. And uh, the other uh, thing that uh, we've recently seen since the last podcast is that there's a, a new um, website, beer website out. Uh, it's called October, and it's from the makers of Pitchfork. And a beer in <laughs> a beer podcast, and um, I've read a few articles. I read the first few articles that uh, they posted on there, and I've got to say that while I find it interesting, and I always find you know writing on beer interesting, I do think that <laughs> uh, the reviews are a little bit exaggerated sometimes, and uh, very wordy and Does anyone overall t- just what you would consider pre- yeah pretentious yeah Does anyone take pitchforks reviews seriously You know I don't Cause, know cause, look cuz I I I and it's I not- haven't read them in a while but I used to read them not because I was like looking for like a validating opinion or to see what they thought just to read some of like the bullshit they would yeah. spew like but just like okay like for instance like all the like well, like when they review like Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot masterpiece, ten out of ten. How it's like the standard bearer of avant-garde post-rock in the two thousands. Mm. You've read like that, before. yeah. And I agree. I love it. That album. I think it's great. Um, I don't think it's Wilco's best album, but it's good. Then you read the, like the review on Sky Blue Sky, like 
five out of ten, dad rock noodling around, and yeah. just, and it's like, you know, they're not that, like, so dissimilar to where, like, you would make, like, that big of a yeah, I mean, leap with- in that, and it's just, and I just always find, like, the reviewing funny, because it's, because when they do it, it's, like, so pretentious. Again, like, some of, the, like, earlier articles I've read, like, reviews of, like, old Kinks albums. And some of the worst Kinks albums are like, 10 out of 10, misunderstood masterpieces. Like, everybody's in showbiz and the preservation uh, concept albums. They're not terrible, but they're not fucking masterpieces either. And I'm pretty sure even Ray Davies would be like, that's not good. They were okay. They were, that's yeah. why I kind of stopped that after a while, doing concept albums. Got out of hand. But I mean, I, I gotta say, like, October's not written by the people that do Pitchfork. They're just, it's just more like a producing credit on it. You know what I mean? Like it's still gonna get. Pro- I guarantee yeah. it's gonna have the people though that. No, I mean it does. It does have a pretentious air to it, and I, I, the one thing that really made me uh, turned off by it was like some of the some of the metaphors that they're using for like drinking beer, and uh, also they gave one beer a ninety nine out of one hundred, and this was like the one of the first reviews they ever did. So that's a pretty lofty <laughs> goal right there. Is that? One of the first beers you've reviewed is a 99 out of 100. What subtracts that one point? Yeah, right? I don't know. I mean, it's just... I, I I think it's cool that they have a new website like that. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, to be honest with you. I thought it was... I thought it's an interesting concept. I do like some of their articles about, like, uh, tasting the... Um, like, uh, some of the... F- the things that can really mar your beer, like um, like oxygenation and stuff like that. They had a cool like it's kind of like a how how can you tell if your beer is not like fresh? Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. And some of the other like um, think piece articles Here, on beer. Here's an easy way to tell if your beer is not fresh. Are you from a bumblefuck area yeah, like right. we are? Yeah. Are you ordering something that's probably it hasn't come out of the keg in fucking a year? Yeah. If so, your beer is probably not fresh. Yeah. Um, if you live in a city area, which most of the people who probably write and read this shit yeah. is for, your beer, no matter what you're ordering, is always going to be fresh. Yeah, they were talking about... There's always going to be that, like, one person that's killing the keg at, like, some random bar in fucking Brooklyn. Yeah. Of uh, some random-ass beer that's brewed in some dude's house apartment three doors down. Yeah, they were talking about, like, how you should really buy from local breweries. Is like, oh, really? We should? We gotta drive like an hour for our local brewery. I'll buy from whoever makes good beer. Right. It doesn't matter if they're local. Who, they yeah. It's that that. Well, they shit, were that, saying like that, getting it like a growler straight from the from the source rather than bottled. But it's like that's such yeah, a that's, for us. That's a rigmarole. Yeah. That's a, for uh, us. That would mean that would mean me taking a 20, weekly trip twenty dollars on a fucking growler for like either Browns, Davidson, whatever. Yeah. Then Druthers. Then driving, Druthers is the closest, 35 minutes away. Yeah. But even if you want to, like, say, go to Browns, 45 minutes, you want to go to fucking Davidson, hour. Yeah. Or Adirondack, same. Hour, yeah. Yeah, hour. Driving all, all the way up there, so you're wasting basically the growler amount on gas just to get go to and fro there. Yeah. Then pay $15 to have that fucking filled, and then go... Yep. I mean... And not, and not only that, that but would buying be, a growler for each one because they won't fill each other's. 
Yeah. Like with a growl, like if I brought a brown growler to Adirondack, they yeah. wouldn't fill it. Yeah, of course not, because they'd be like, "Fuck you!" Yeah, buy your own. Yeah, because they want you to buy theirs. Yeah, I mean, there are a few places around here, like uh, beer stores, that do have like you know growler like a tap. Them. Yeah, but I mean, even still, it's not like they have anything like ooh that's worth getting a you know in a growler. You can not get generally. It. Yeah. Uh, so, and even then, that's like another question. Like, is that beer fresh? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. That that dogfish had sixty minute IPA. It's probably been you know. Sitting. It's been there for a few months now. They're trying to get rid of it. <laughs> but so. all right, we got to get into the actual movie itself. So we're running long on beer talk. Next week we will be back uh, to talk about. Um, actually, not it won't be next week, but it will be the week the week after because we're gonna going to beer fest this Saturday. Not this Saturday. Next, Next Saturday. Saturday. Sorry. Uh, getting my dates mixed up. And then we will be back to talk about that and what we've had. So uh, tune in for that, definitely. Um, be a lengthy discussion. That's right. Uh, now let's get into Death Wish 5, The Face of Death. Um, <laughs> I gotta say, I like that pun quite a bit. Because in this film, a woman gets her face disfigured. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty fun little pun there in the title didn't make that connection yeah i know well generally most people wouldn't because that woman has like very little role in this film what a speaking of the opening what a stereotypical low budget early 90s movie film opening it's like essentially halloween six is opening just like a very like cold opening yeah shitty, like, early 90s music and then just, like, the fucking well, you know, title card. it's also very much um, more sinister and dark and brooding than most of the other openings for Death Wish. Like, normally you get kind of, like, an upbeat music score to it, and this one is just black credits with, like, a brooding sort of, like, I don't know, like, I don't even know what kind of, I don't know if it's synth or what, but just kind of a brooding score altogether. Just, you know, it, it doesn't set like a fun tone for Death Not Wish like, Not like Death Wish 2 where you have, like, it's, you know, Jimmy Page's yeah. amazing rock yeah, and theme. Jimmy Page playing the guitar like, you're gonna see a rape! And then, you know, then yeah. laying some thick synths down, like, yeah. bing, bing, bing. No, it's not, it's not like fun, it's not jazzy, it's not yeah, you smooth. Don't, you don't have Herbie Hancock from the first no. film. yeah. No, but in general, Death Wish 5 is not, you gotta say, it's not really fucking around, because it's not really having much fun whatsoever. <laughs> no one was thinking, like, well, let's make Death Wish 5 fun. They were they went so the, making, like, they well, went, let's just get to the point. They went the total opposite direction of 3 yeah. and 4, so that the, you have another tonal shit. Not only that, the film starts off, and it starts off running... And what's going on? Like, it's almost like you have... You're just... Essentially, it's almost like... It's not Act 1, but it's not quite Act 2. You're thrown into Act 1 and a half. You're just thrown into a fashion show going on with some Irish mobster there. And Kersey just happens to fucking be there. And shit happens. Yeah. And yeah. that's and then, like, that ha that's the first 15 minutes. And after that whole scenario happens, you're kind of like... What the fuck just happened? What did I just watch? Nothing made sense. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't they, really... They literally just throw you in... Yeah, you don't really know what to think, too, because... It's very disorienting. Paul Kersey is sitting there, and he he glances over to his left. He's sitting at a fashion show. He glances to his left. There's, like, a little 12-year-old girl sitting there, and it's a very creepy gaze at that time. 
Because you're like, why is Paul Kersey, like, creepily looking at a 12-year-old girl in the audience? It comes to mean something later. It, you know, obviously it's his, like, it's his girlfriend's daughter. He's got another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at this point in the movie, for him to, like, kind that. of, like, gaze over and, like, give her a weird look, little smile, it's just a very odd... <laughs> thing to see at the beginning of the he's film. He's gone from having his whole family killed and raped to he's gonna do the same thing now. He's yeah, gonna... exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with death, the Death Wish films is that, like, they really have no regard for how a normal person would react to being like, you know, every one of my girlfriends has been murdered, or... Well, the first film has regard. Yeah, the first and film. This one does. Yeah, I no, mean, and, I mean, and the rest just, of them... Like, they just don't... That's why I care anymore. As I said, that's why I said the first film has character development. This, then the rest of the films are just him being the same character, except being more embracing vigilanteism even more and more and more to the point where he's fucking you know Agent Forty Three. I I still uphold my opinion that either Paul Kersey is seeking out these situations, like he's looking in this case in Death Wish Five. This um, they call her like a a model queen or like a runway queen um fashion designer fashion queen. designer queen she's her ex-husband is Tommy O'Shea the famous Irish mobster who employs <laughs> Italian guys to do his bidding um and uh she's so she's his ex-wife so Paul Kersey, you've got to assume is saying dating material. Yeah, <laughs> that's he, the kind of lady I want to get to know. Yeah, like, <laughs> did he do like zero research? Because presumably, a fashion model queen designer's life is pretty public. If she's that big of a of a person in New York City as a fashion not only that, designer, not only that, everyone in the city knows Tommy O'Shea. Yeah, is a fucking scumbag. Mafioso. Yeah. Because you even have the cops say, we've been working on this case for 16 years. And Kirstie's like, well, you did a fucking good job. Yeah. You know, for 16 years. And you haven't been able yeah. to put him away. You- so it's not... And again, that would mean, too, that when the first Death Wish film was happening... Because, I mean, I don't really think this film is set in 1994. Because with the whole scattershot of the timeline throughout the franchise... You would imagine that means... Kersey would know about, like, some, like, you know, hoods running around New York City, because he's back in New York City again. Yeah. Um, he would know, he would have known this guy. So it's not like he wouldn't have known if the cops, like, you know, have been trying to get, book him for 16 years, but couldn't, he's famous. Yeah, and, and, and he's been around, yeah. yeah, he would have been around during the time that he, he was known a vigilante him. in New yeah. York City. Uh, but, I mean, you've got to think that... Paul Kersey must be seeking this stuff out because there's no way that he's just happening upon it accidentally every single and he's time. Acting, and he's acting like, ah, like, I gotta get my revolver back out. And it's like, you fucking want to. You yeah, su- you, you <laughs> want to at this like, point. Hey, no, stop it. Yo, stop it. You don't care that this bitch died. You're just like, yeah, fuck it. Got a reason to load up my gun now and go, yeah. you know, fucking yeah. on a fucking spree of just annihilating people. Yeah, I think it's really funny because I don't buy Death Wish 5's um, entire plot at all. So, we didn't mention that Death Wish 5 occurs seven... It it was filmed and uh, released seven years later after Death Wish 4. So, Death Wish 4 was 1987 and now Death Wish 5 releases in 1994. Which, 
The biggest p- gap since uh, the first two films. Yeah, since the first two films. Uh, I mean, it makes... It's, it's, I guess it makes sense that they would maybe would want to return to it in a different era. But in this film, it doesn't really act like much has happened besides Paul has gone into a witness protection program. Which makes no sense. It doesn't make sense because not only does... They don't explain how you even got there. Right. Why would, why would anybody, why would any cop say, you're a vigilante, you took the, you know, you took the action into your own hands to kill criminals... You know, let's put you in a witness protection program. They would not care. They wouldn't care. Because he's murdered a bunch of people. Is that, is that what they're saying? So, as I was telling you at the end, like, at the end of Death Wish 4, you have the one cop say, like, stop a curse y'all shooting. He's like, do what you want. And then you have, like, him just walking off. So does that mean the cop tried him out? Like, I'm, just, I'm not going to shoot you, Cursey. We'll, we'll put, you, we'll in put you in witness protection. It doesn't make sense. But, the, again, where you're still an architect... <laughs> Yeah, you're, he's still an architect in Death Wish Five. So, even in witness protection, they changed nothing about him. They, they changed, didn't try they, to make him look they, any different. They, they didn't changed. even say, "Hey, Kersey, you should probably shave your mustache this time because <laughs> that's pretty iconic for you." I know your pencil thin. Yeah. yeah, they changed his name. They now he's Paul Stewart or Stanley. I don't. I yeah, don't something like that. They mentioned. They barely mentioned because everyone he's interacting with for the most part in the film are people that knows. That he's Paul Kersey, yeah. so they're all like, Kersey, have you met Kersey? Kersey, Kersey, Kersey. They didn't do a very good job yeah. relocating him. First of all, Yeah, why would you put him back in New York City? <laughs> yeah, it, out of all the cities, which what? are only four, or whatever, <laughs> that he's been in, which were New York City, Chicago, L.A., and... That's it. No, actually, that's it. Three. They, yet again, put him back in New York City we don't for the third him. time. And we don't even get to see him in Chicago. That's just at the end of Death Wish yeah. 1. He gets sent to Chicago. Yeah. So. No, no one was using their brains putting him in You'd witness protection. You'd think that you would want to send him like, out to like Butte, Montana. Like. Yeah, someplace <laughs> where it's like, get out of a city where you know lots of crimes happen because he probably will revert to his vigilante state if he sees crimes happening around him. Don't put him... There. Also, don't give him like a million dollar mansion as a as a house because, like, why would you? It the house literally looks like a low rent version of like the Godfather's house. Yeah. Like I'm just expecting like the. <laughs> like, you know, like see him like being like Vito Corleone. Oh, my girlfriend, she's been raped and killed. <laughs> The, uh, I'm going to make Tommy O'Shea an offering kind of the, Also, the other thing that bothers me about this is that no witness protection program would, would be okay with their witness that they're protecting being like, I'm going to get married to someone who's basically a celebrity in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> they, wouldn't be, they would be like, uh, no, no, you cannot see her. You cannot be publicly seen. And they would be constantly <laughs> checking up on you too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh, you're dating a fat, a rich fat. Okay, yeah, no, it's fine. No, yeah, no. no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, so that's just the beginning of the film. I mean, that's just like the, the opening ten, sequence first, of first it. Where you're like, minutes. wait, what the fuck is going on? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, but then from there, it just gets even crazier. It just, it just. Nothing really comes together whatsoever. You don't even understand how, apparently, the mob gets involved into this, like, fashion and protection industry. No, apparently... They don't even really explain it. Yeah. They're just like, oh, he's got control of everything. Because he's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. 
like you said, Death Wish 5 kind of envisions itself as like a mock Godfather where you see like the, this, and again, it's very cloudy as to whether this is some sort of Italian mob. <laughs> is this an Irish gang? I know, because everyone, uh, everyone in the gang is essentially like fucking Italian except the head honcho. He's fucking Irish apparently. So it's like, so what? So what are they? These Italians? They're not. So they're not Sicilian. That's why they're not in the ma- in the mafia. They're from fu- they're from Tuscany. They're you know from Northern Italy. They're you know. Yeah, it, it, it makes no sense. There's just no rhyme or reason to it. You'd think you'd think you know they'd be too warring, but no, no. Yeah, you could have used the plot from the last film of like the two warring, you know, like Yojimbo style, you know, curse trying to play you know the Irish and the Italian against yeah. each other, but not not be just like oh yeah. I'm... No. I think that one of Death Wish 5's biggest problems is that it doesn't... They don't really know how to work in the mob. They they don't know how to write for Mafia members. It, it's very... Not th- it's not thought out at all. No, it's very messy. I will say that Michael Parks, as main villain Tommy O'Shea, doesn't... First of all, does not sound Irish. I don't know what he's going for, but he doesn't sound Irish. He looks like Elton John... <laughs> All he's it, missing is his gap in his front teeth aren't isn't big enough, but it's there. Yeah, and to be honest with you, not very effective as as a villain whatsoever. And 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 also, it seems like every line he's doing is fucking improv. Yeah, like one scene, he's like, he says something. The guy's like, "Well, like, oh, I'm mumbling like you mumble." And the guy's like, well, he's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. and, then, and then they just transition to the next scene. It's like, what bearing did that have? That's, there's no development there. There's no story progression. There's no character. To, you just have him, like, just shooting him. Like, apparently, like, maybe he, they actually had lines, and that's the take that they actually that thought was good because he's just making fun of the guy. Like, you're supposed to be fucking reading your lines, but you're too busy mumbling. So I'm... Yeah. It's, yeah, uh, it, the villains in this film... Are just terrible, just terrible. So no depth, no shallow as ever. I mean, great. They're shallow and have no depth in like Death Wish Four, but they're fun. These villains aren't fun. They like they're so stereotypical. It's great as you were saying. The one guy's fucking sitting there just constantly popping pills, like every time he's nervous because he's got apparently high. You at like the last act of the film, yeah. like, like a high blood pressure. So you but the entire time just sitting like shoving fucking pills into his mouth and like. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, oh, that's how you know he's a bad guy. He's sitting there fucking just throwing Tic Tacs down his throat. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it, it's, the film doesn't really understand how to do, like, bad guy characters. And it's really, a honestly, a goofy film. It's really goofy. Unintentionally. Yeah, unintentionally, because this is really taken straight lace. Like, it's supposed to be a film where you're like, wow, those bad guys are really bad. <laughs> And Paul Kersey's left with no choice but to go after them. It's like, no. I with mean, a remote control soccer ball. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Just, it's so hard to talk about this film because it's all over the place. That's, yeah. Yeah, I, this, this picks up almost like with Death Wish 4. Because. Where he's a hitman. Where almost. he's a hitman. Because Paul Kersey, we've seen before, can just take his gun and go in and murder a lot of bad guys, and have no worries about it. Like, he can just go in and do it. We've it's seen not, him do it before. It's not Death Wish 1 anymore, where he's actually getting stabbed and hurt and wounded. Yeah. It's, he's, he's not, he's, he's, 
ascended to that level of being like a James Bond where you you know he's now untouchable. Yeah. Like even if you do see him get hurt, you're kind of like, eh, you know, it doesn't really Yeah, there's him. no there's no real tension here that like he's a regular person at this point. If anything, you're worrying about the fucking people around him like. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> I he's pretty reckless in this film and about halfway through when his fiance dies, um her daughter is supposed to be in um, Paul's custody, but Tommy O'Shea is able to get uh, like custody of the, of the girl, so he takes her with him. Um, and so you would think that Paul would be a little bit more careful, like he could murder her at any time. Tommy O'Shea mm-hmm. could murder this daughter at any time, so maybe don't do things that would put her mm-hmm. at risk, like murder off all of his henchmen and I even love the fact that the one informant for uh O'Shea who's a cop uh is even like even just flat out says like he's gonna go down list you know name by name by name on the list. Like so it's like well how so it's basically the film's even telling you like right here he knows who's the what the rank and file of your group is. So just you know he's gonna do that. Yeah. And it's like and what what's Tommy O'Shea does? I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't care he, he whatsoever. Just, he just flat out. He's like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, I gotta say that Death Wish 5 is, is pretty dumb. Because if you were Paul, you would probably not even bother to go after the rest of Tommy O'Shea's henchmen who, who don't seem like they have any sort of intelligence whatsoever. We're gonna be fucked when... It Tommy... doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't... If you kill Tommy O'Shea, what are they gonna do? They're going to be like chickens with their heads cut off. They're going to be like, I don't know. We don't have a boss anymore. What? Yeah, I none guess of the, we disband. None, none of his underlings are smart enough to be like, I'll take over whatever operation. Yeah. Money laundering it's, operations. It's going. really stupid. And it kind of follows Death Wish 4. Within, with Death Wish 4, like, he didn't really need to go person by person as a hitman. He could have just gone to the source. And the same thing happens with Death Wish 5. You're left wondering, like, why doesn't he just storm in? With Tatami O'Shea's apartment, he's pretty not. He's not protected like at all. Besides the fact, like they try to make it seem like he is, but never do you see like a bunch of guards standing guard. Like, oh wow, he's really well protected. Not not for Paul, at least not from what we've seen. But you know, we got to get some of those action scenes in somewhere. So Paul goes down the list of people, and um. Kind of just does things stealthily, even though it's not really necessary. One one guy he kills by sneaking into an Italian restaurant and coating his cannoli with arsenic as he scarfs it down like a like a bear. Help! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so great. The, the guy's mom is the owner of the restaurant. She's just you're like. Help! <laughs> 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 Yeah. It's just, Mr. Hoppin! Help! <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, it's like, oh, it's like, they just hired somebody like, hey, can you just come in here and yell help? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one that you brought up is, uh, Freddie Flakes gets, uh, exploded by a remote control soccer ball <laughs> that Paul buys at a toy store. Now I on Christmas and Christmas season in Rockefeller Center. That's right. We're shown Christmas season in Rockefeller Center, and then we see Paul in a toy store that is completely empty. 
And I was just sitting here thinking, well, this is wrong. I've been to Rockefeller Center during Christmas time. It is fucking packed. In a toy store, no less, he would not be able to drive a soccer ball around with a remote control. He would not be able to move. It would be like Jingle All the Way. With If the soccer ball was the big thing that year, he'd be like getting pushed aside by old ladies. But, like, like, who, I gotta get my grandson a soccer ball remote. But, I mean, like, why? 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 It's like the greatest question of this film. Why is there a remote control soccer ball? What point is there to have a remote control soccer ball? What do you do with a remote control soccer ball? As you said, can you kick it? Is it... I mean, like, what do you... T- yeah. It makes no, it literally makes no sense for yeah, him to be like, oh, I got a soccer ball uh, I can just drive around, you know. Do, do, do. I don't really know about the 90s, but I find it hard to believe that anybody was selling a remote control soccer ball at that time. I had remote control cars. I never had a remote control it, What it looks like ball. is that somebody jerry-rigged a remote control car and made it into a soccer ball. For this film. Probably, but yeah, it makes no sense. Like, why won't you just do a remote control car? You can do a remote control car. <laughs> yeah. Or as you said, he could have just bought a fucking soccer ball. And when he goes to the guy, because the guy's up schizoid, par- uh, you know, paranoid, yeah. schizophrenic. And, you know, he values his protection. He wants to be like he's in the womb of his mom. As the film eloquently puts it. So he has a, so, a high-tech security Fucking security system, system which... Curse! He doesn't even fucking know about. Doesn't even know. <laughs> Apparently, he just assumed that he would have. You know, th- th- this yeah. guy would have it. Instead, of just like throwing a fucking soccer ball on like the on the property, making has, like, an alarm a, go off. That has like a bomb on it, and the guy just sees like, what the fuck's a soccer ball? And pick it up and blast him. Now he's got a remote control one. Has the guy run around <laughs> the fucking property two times, chasing it, and then he finally lets him just grab the ball. He's like, hey, and then he just blows it up in his fucking face. Yeah. It's fucking stupid. Not only that, you mentioned too how uh, <laughs> when Kersey shows up and sets the alarm off, the guy's in the bathtub with his girlfriend or titties flopping around. <laughs> the one film thing this film's got is fucking titties. Yeah. And she's got her titties hanging out and he's got his head on him and he's in the bathtub and he hears it. He's like, I'll be right back. And what's he do? Runs outside wearing fucking leather pants <laughs> and like, uh, like a button up in a vest that's like, as you said, like, Really? After being in the bathtub, you just slipped on fucking leather pants? Yeah. I've never worn leather pants before. That really bothers but, me. But, but I know for a fact... I can't like, imagine that it's easy to be all wet and then get in leather pants. They should have had, like, a Spongebob, like, 13 minutes later. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Paul is probably outside just playing around with the soccer ball, waiting for him to get his leather just, pants just on. Just juggling around. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I can't imagine that it's easy to be all wet and then put on leather pants. That that bothers me. That's that's part of, like, this film's, like... <laughs> Twisted logic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that really bothers me. I don't, I don't understand how that works. Um, <laughs> Not only that. Oh, speak of, like, Dan- poor Danny Trejo-level effect. This is the equivalent for this death. Yeah. Now, if if you didn't listen the last time, when um, in Death Wish Four, the big young breakout star of that film is Danny Trejo, and <laughs> Kersey brings a bomb to the table, and he gets sat down, and he splashes some water on him, and runs away, and a bomb goes off, and then you have this terrible explosion effect. Yep. And like basically, you could have like Trejo holding like a Wile E. Coyote sign, like oh no. Yeah. Same thing happens in this film. When the guy picks up the bomb, he's like, hey, your time's up. And the bomb goes off. First off, he's like, no! And then the bomb goes off, and it's a terrible, thick explosion. (laughs) 
And instead of him being blown up, no, he's caught on fire, and then he's just running around. It's fucking it, yeah, awful. It is terrible. It's it so bad. But I think this film is really reaching for new levels of deaths, because... But there's not that many, though, overall. There, there isn't. But, like, when Paul finally infiltrates the uh, factory where Tommy O'Shea does all of his business, which is, like, a mannequin factory, he is... Which is the set for Kazam. Yeah. And Mask and all, every other, like, early 90s film that has, like, a warehouse scene in it. Yeah. You can easily see Cameron Diaz being tied up in there. And you can easily see Shaq, you know, being a genie in there. <laughs> With that blue lighting and that you're just stereotypical. Like, Smoky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with, like, this one, though, there's, like, a a plastic wrap machine. And <sighs> Paul forces one of Tommy O'Shea's henchmen to, like, stand on the, the packing wrap, whatever it is, like, circle, where they, where they would pack things and just have him get wrapped up with the plastic. Until he's totally covered in plastic. And, so- and then hangs him on a, like, a garment machine. Like, that is not... Wh- wh- he's why? Not a, he's not a vigilante anymore. No. He, because he's tor- using torture as it, because he suffocates the guy until like, he's like, you want to talk? And then he finally lets him breathe because he wants to know where the do- uh, his dead fiance's daughter is now. So it's not like, you're not a vigilante anymore. Now you're using, like, you, you know... Yeah. You're torturing the guy. Yeah, as you yeah. said, he's more of a psychopath now. Like when he just smiles and cackles to himself after blowing up the guy with the soccer ball. Like, <laughs> it's like, like apparently that was just fun for him. He that's didn't need to Ma- do it. But it's he, it's he, Kevin McAllister when he's yeah. 50 years old. Just like, <laughs> Apparently, it didn't, ma- you know, that was just something he did for fun. He didn't really have to do it, but, you know, might as well. It's got, he bought the soccer ball. <laughs> might as well blow it up in his face. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. It just, yeah, everything about Death Wish 5 is really goofy at this point. Uh, it even features one of the characters in drag for not really any reason. It, I don't know, it just, this film really takes itself with it, seriously. With, with a dandruff problem. They make, sure it, you know, they make sure you know that that, that character has a dandruff yeah, issue. And, and why? Because it, it I mean, comes up not at all. Well, because well, you know, when he blows up the soccer ball in his face, like, this will take care of your dandruff. Yeah. <laughs> it matters not at all. Not it's at just, all. It, well, cause probably because in the fourth film, they did mention like some character things when the guy's running down like the dossiers of each of like the hitman. Yeah. Like they like he gives him like a whole listing of like, like this guy. Yeah, like character traits for him. Yeah. It's like oh yeah, like I say, he's fucking like Hitman, Agent Forty Three or whatever his name is. Yeah. Um. Well, I gotta uh, say that I do feel bad for Charles Bronson in this film because he really seems like he doesn't care about it. I whatsoever. don't feel bad for him because he said yes. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have to do the film. Well, he's getting old at this point, and you can really tell in this film that he he's getting lo- old. You can tell he's old and tired. He is, yeah. You you expect him to come out for like an AARP or Wilfred Brimley like diabetes commercial. Yeah, his face is pretty puffy. Yeah. He, he, he's looking real old in this film. It's... It, and some of the other ones, they can they were hiding it a little bit. Like he was still old in Death Wish Four. He's still old in Death Wish Two. Yeah, but I mean, like they were able to hide it a little bit. But in this film, he he, I know I'm not saying this to be mean or anything, but as a like a an action hero for this film, he's looking very old. He's looking very out of shape. Um, 
And they don't really have him do many stunts in that would like require him to actually do. Well, I was just say too. It's not. I wouldn't say it's really mean because that's like the that's the same thing with like Roger Warden last like his last two Bond films. Yeah, Octopussy and A View to Kill, especially A View to Kill. You can tell he's old. Yeah, and it's uncomfortable how mm. old he is. And like then in that film, um, he's with uh, fuck, I can't remember. Her. It's Tammy something. The uh, uh, Donna's mom from that '70s show. She, uh, she's the Bond girl in, like, A View to a Kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can tell, like, she's, like, 20 in that film, and Roger Moore's in his late 50s. You can tell, like, how uncomfortable and cringeworthy, like, the re- inter- interaction is. And, just, yeah. like, and you can, like I said, you can tell, like, he looks just how... M- it's half the reason why that film's so miserable, because it's, like, he's so old, he came like, buy into him yeah. into the role anymore. Yeah. And, I mean, this was one of Charles Bronson's last films. Um... I think he did a yeah he did a couple more, uh, but really, this was like yeah, he was, some yeah, he some was of his even, last films. He was even in his mid fifties when he did Death Wish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. he was he was old doing all of the Death Wish films. Really older doing all of the Death Wish films, and you can really really tell in this one, and it's just it kind of takes you out of it because you see like wow. He's looking really. You can't old buy now. into him being a vigilante anymore. No, not really. Not not really. Even though you have to, like you have to, like you're thinking, like, well, you know, he's not going to die in this. You know, he's he's going to be fine. But still, I don't I don't buy that he's going to actually be able to like infiltrate a factory and you know do any sort of stuff. I mean, it's funny when he punches Tommy O'Shea in the one scene when they take the the kid away. Yeah. And Tommy O'Shea's reaction is like, "Oh, he's a quick son of a bitch." Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I can probably couldn't see that uppercut probably coming from a mile away if it was, yeah. uh, you know, being truthful like Yeah, I think that with like with this film, they didn't really have him do any sort of stunt sequences that I can think of. No. You have like the bomb, which requires him to do like no the cannoli stunt. Yeah, the cannolis. Nothing. That I think that's kind of why they went more for that stealth base, even though it doesn't really fit with the whole theme of the film. They still went for that stunt or the um, stealth based kills, and you know, because he was old at that point, you couldn't really do any more stunt sequences, so you don't get any. But. Um, Anything else? Anything else you you've got that you want to add about Death Wish Five before we go into ratings and stuff like that? Well, that's about it. It's, that's it. it. I it's mean, it's, really it's, a... it's it's a sad way to end the free. I would have been fine if they if, if Death Wish Four was the end. I think that would have been a fine enough send off. Like, okay, yeah, he's gone from vigilante to hitman now, so now he's just a hitman. Yeah, I mean, and <laughs> just and just leave it at that. The and, thing with Death Wish Five is you've got to kind of ask like, why? Why now in 1994 were were you thinking, like, we need to do a fifth Death Wish film? Because this is a very cheaply made film, too. Five million dollars. Yeah. You can tell that this is, in the 90s, like, this is one of those films that would be, like... You can tell. Yeah. It's totally an early 90s low-budget film. Yeah. Like I said, it's got all the hallmarks. The blue lighting, the terrible, terrible sets. Yeah. As you said, like, the one, the one, like, the one... The one street view definitely looks like a set, where it's just... Yeah, they, you could tell that it was a set. Um, yeah, and it only uses a few different settings, too, because of that. Because it's a set, and you you 
you don't get very many settings whatsoever. You get like an apartment building, you get a restaurant, you get the factory, you get his house. And that's, you know, that's about it. I think that's probably due to the low budget, but I don't know. I mean, you gotta, you just gotta wonder why. Like, who is clamoring for another sequel to Death Wish at this point? It's, from what I'm reading right now, it's all just because of video sales. VHS sales at the time? And, like, rentals, yeah. Yeah. Just, like, the the franchise was, you know. Yeah. Because you gotta think, too, like, if you, uh, even in the early 90s, it's, you know, I mean, it's, VHS has been around for, for a while, but, I mean, like, that's, you know. Prime renting. is starting to become, like, a really big thing. As, yeah, exactly. As you would know, because your dad owned a video rental Yeah. Store. Well, I mean, that makes sense. That does make sense. And I'm assuming that probably... Like, this was a big time for horror and action films because if when you're renting those films, you got, like, the all the, the whole... If you think you got the action set up for you and you see all the VHS tapes, like, those... The, the box art itself Sells. is really selling these yeah. films. And so, if you've got all five Death Wish films on the shelf, people are going to rent those. People are going like, oh, I, I yeah. to... I can absolutely see why that would be a big selling point for someone to want to make Death Wish 5. Not so much because they were like, you know what, we need another good film in the series. But because they were like, we need to sell some movies on the rental shelf and, and on VHS. Because the film only made like a million and a half at the box office. Yeah. So it, it, it not, didn't even make back its No, its not, not, budget. Yeah, not even close. It made a fifth of its budget. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I can, I, I, yeah, that, that makes sense. The VHS aspect of it, yeah, makes sense. Um... Was it a good idea? Probably not. And you're right. Death Wish 4 probably would have been the best. Because then you don't have to go off with, like, thinking, like, wow, Charles Bronson looks really old in the Death Wish You could series. have enjoyed him in Death yeah, Wish 4. Yeah, for what, exactly. You could have enjoyed it for what it was. Because the last th- three and four are incredibly campy. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, three's like I said, three's a parody for the most part. It yeah. comes off as. It takes that, like, you know... and. Takes the original idea, hams it up, knows what it's doing, and you know, being tongue in cheek. And same thing with four. Four is like, okay, it's the late eighties now. This is the type of film that people, you know, this is like the new exploitive type of film of the late eighties. Yeah. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, and that's what they did with Death Wish Five. It's like this is like the exploitive film of the early nineties. Fucking filming in a warehouse somewhere. And and, and really, Death Wish Five was his final actual movie because the rest the three other ones which were family of cops and its two sequels were tv movies so really this was his last actual what a sad way for him to go out cinema film yeah yeah i don't know it is sad to see this like because we watched it that's gonna be anthony hopkins yeah malcolm mcdowell transformers (laughs) i mean (laughs) that's so great when you said like somebody posted this way like Oh, so Anthony Hopkins is doing this. Yeah, one. they they roped Anthony Hopkins into this now for Transformers. Yep. It's like he got he got knighted and now he just doesn't care. Yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> he does whatever. Yeah, I mean we've watched Death Wish you know, throughout as a you know, binging it kind of. And it's you can definitely see the progression of like mm, yeah, Charles Bronson getting old <laughs> getting older and then really looking haggard in Death Wish Five. So it's a sad way to go. And I would have, yeah, I would have preferred, and probably most people do, 
prefer to just do like the four. <laughs> and then Death Wish Death Wish Five didn't really happen. <laughs> but uh, we don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah just like exile. It. That's one we forget about. It's probably why they don't ever play on TV. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It is not a very memorable film at all. Uh, so yeah, and and like for anybody looking for a recommendation, I definitely would recommend you skip it because it's just not it's not a good movie at all. It's it's pretty terrible, and like we were saying, not really sure if it's better or worse than Death Wish Two. I think it's worse. I yeah. think it's worse too. I I I do think it's worse. It just. It's it's not really fun. It's not really. Uh, I mean, we mentioned memorable. we mentioned some little funny parts, but it's 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 actually it's, it's a not. chore to watch. Really, it feels like it takes. Death, I mean, well, Death Wish Two is a chore to watch too, but at the same time, I I just think I could find myself watching Death Wish Two more. Mm, just, yeah, just the, the overall because there, there's again, I'll watch Death Wish Two just for the fucking opening credits alone. Just. Like I said, I love Jimmy Page's steam in that. I think it's fucking great. But, I mean... And th- that one doesn't feel... I mean, like I said, I agree. They're both chores to watch. But I think this one's slightly more of a chore. It's not It's not by much, but it's... Yeah. it's. You know what we forgot to mention, too? Is this... This is back to Roman numerals. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice Yeah, that. it's back to Roman numerals. God damn. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. Alright, so... Can't even, can't even finish off consistently. No, you can't. No, you can't. Uh, so out of uh, ten exploding soccer ball remote remote control soccer balls, what what would you give Death Wish Five? Probably, the face a, f- of death? probably a four out of ten. Four out of ten. Yeah, that's probably about where I would give it to. I mean, it's not even mediocre. It's it's below mediocre. It, no, it's definitely bad. It's definitely in yeah. bad territory. Yeah, and. It just none of it really screams like they put a whole lot of work into it from the writing of it because it doesn't even again this half the dialogue doesn't make sense. Yeah, it That's doesn't just... make sense. Uh, it doesn't really need to even have the Death Wish Five moniker on it because this could be like just a film about a guy. Well, well we said that about like all the others, the entire every sequel. They could have little every yeah. sequel in this franchise could have just been a standalone. Yeah, movie. it could have been. It could have just been a different Charles Bronson movie. Because it's literally because all it is is the same premise. He's, Charles Bronson has a significant other. Significant other gets either raped, killed, you know, something of that. Then that drives him to fight crime. Yep. You don't need it to be Paul. Paul Cur- Paul Kersey, the most unlucky, the unluckiest man in the world to have this shit either happen to him, or he, you know, follows it, or he attracts it. Yeah, it would actually make more sense if he wasn't Paul Kersey in this. Well, he's not. He's Paul Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, it would make more sense because, yeah, now it seems like he's seeking this out. <laughs> he wants this to happen. So he's, he can, he's just he's just betting on yeah, it now. Like, so he, come on. <laughs> He's like, I'm not gonna date that girl. She yeah. doesn't have enough. She doesn't, yeah, there's not enough like bad like bad things that could happen to her. <laughs> I need to um, actually date somebody that's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would give it a four out of ten too. It doesn't have a great rating on IMDb either. Four point seven out of ten. That's uh, generous. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I think that they really should have left it at Death Wish for. Such a sad it. way, though. Like I said, I mean, it's because again, as we talked about earlier, about when we kind of retrospected the rest of our reviews, 
It's like, holy shit. It's, the point of the original has been completely lost. Yeah, it's lost, totally. It's it completely lost and gone, bastardized. Color me upset that there's not even a rape in this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, but... But uh, there is a woman who serves no purpose besides getting yeah. maimed and then murdered. <laughs> it was, oh, her murder is great, though, because... Cursey's in a fucking hallway when they're sitting there blasting away with shotguns and submachine guns. Doesn't get hit. Yep. Chick's running away. All of a sudden, the guy's a sharpshooter and picks her, picks her off and, you know. Shoots her in the back off a building. Yeah. It's great. Great logic. Like Great. And then, and then she lands and dies, but Paul jumps off the building and lands in a gigantic pile of trash bags. I think he did it on purpose. <laughs> he just wanted her to die. He's like, all right, now I got an excuse. Yeah, I got to get rid of her now. I didn't really want to save her. I just, you know, I wanted. Yeah. All right, so what are we doing? We're we're finished with the Deathwish series. That's it. We're complete. We did it. So, what's our next film? We talked about it a little bit. I think we're we gonna, we're gonna do we're gonna forego the series for now, and kind of do some standalone episodes. Um, and we're going to get back to horror territory. I think we talked about doing a Jello next time. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about doing What Have You Done to Solange? It's, I don't remember what you said, but you said, uh, it'd be a Jello. Yep. And I think, I think next time we'll do What Have You Done to Solange? And, um, that is an Italian Jello, uh, recently released by Arrow Video on Blu-ray. So, um, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a fun one to do and, uh, we'll get back to kind of the roots of the Blood and Black Rum podcast, uh, which we had previously started this podcast to do Jello, and we have only really done Tenebrae and, um, then we'll go from there. Uh, we also mentioned perhaps doing The Night Evelyn um, Came Out of the Tomb, which is one of I, – I really like that film a lot. Uh, and uh, I think we will hold off on doing some of the series until a little bit later. Um, we're coming up to St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. So obviously we need to do Leprechaun 2. Fortunately, the uh, great Jennifer Aniston is absent from that one. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you positive? Yeah. Mm. Shame. Unless you want to do, like, Leprechaun in the Hood. No, you can't Which start. I can tell you is a horrible movie. I have not watched that. I think I've seen only the first three Leprechauns. Yeah. I know for a fact I've seen one and two. I think I've seen three as well. I never. I no. I haven't seen Leprechaun in the Hood. I haven't seen Back to the Hood. I haven't seen Leprechaun in Space. I've not um, seen Back to the Hood or In Space. I can honestly say that I don't really like any Leprechaun movie. Well, I don't no. think any of them are good. No. And as we, when we, if you remember when we did the first Leprechaun, I was like, I do not remember this being this bad. I remember it being bad. I don't remember it being that bad. Yeah. Because that that you talk. Films like only like eighty minutes long, and what a fucking chore it was. Yeah, it takes. It feels like it takes forever. Leprechaun two, I don't really remember that well. It's probably this. Well, how different can you get? Yeah, lost his goddamn lucky charm, and you know. Yeah. Shenanigans ensue. I rather watch the fucking Chucky series. <laughs> <laughs> that way, you get to see Jennifer Tilly 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we uh, I think we'll do Leprechaun 2 coming up to St. Patrick's Day. There's one I want to do. What's that? We're going to do Dread. Oh, yeah, you wanted to do Dread. Um, we'll probably do that in a few weeks, weeks. because we'll kind of like give it a little time for the from the action yeah. no, stuff. I know. No, and I then, know. Uh, that's, that's why. Yeah. But no, we'll do some horror, then we'll go back to something good. Yeah. Something pure. That's right. Get to see Bones McCoy as Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd. And which I, I've never seen. Which I, for those you don't know, I'm not talking about Sly Stallone's Judge Dredd, which we'll do another day. Don't one. don't worry, because that's a great film in of its own. There's a there's a string of great '90s sliced alone action films like that. Yeah, that are literally like the same film over <laughs> and over again that you need to see. Yeah, because Judge Dredd is one, Demolition Man's another Demolition one. Demolition Man, yeah, that's that one's Universal great. Soldier. That no, reminds me of no, that's a Jean Claude. No, I know it is, but, but we I should mean, do that because that we should too. also do the sequel too because that also has Bill Goldberg in it. Yeah. Who will be, you know. And I want to bring up, too, Scream Factory is releasing... Well, it's actually, I guess, Shout Factory, because it's not horror, but uh, they're releasing RoboCop 2 and 3 on Blu-ray, which I will be getting... I believe it's in March those are coming out, so we should probably work on that for the next series, RoboCop 1, 2, and 3. And the remake. <laughs> No, because that one too. See that if you're a long time listener, then you know the RoboCop remake has been the one of the. You know what? That might be our anniversary. We'll see. Perfect. I already booked it. Booked it for us. <laughs> our anniver- our for our anniversary month. Yeah, we'll do RoboCop. We'll do a RoboCop month, leading to for our anniversary, it'll land on which I believe is like RoboCop remake, Ju- June July. or July. Yeah. yeah. So. Mm. So we've got a big plans in store um, to kind of take it on the administrative level, which I normally do at the end of the episode. Um, you can catch us on iTunes, which is probably the easiest way to hear our podcasts and download them. Uh, we hope you subscribe and leave us a nice five-star review, and we appreciate uh, hearing from you on that. Um, also, we're on different kinds of apps like Stitcher and... Um, any Android apps that you use, um, you can listen to us on there as well. Any any podcast apps, really, we're on. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud, which you can follow us on there. Uh, give us a, a like for each of our episodes. We really appreciate that. That's where our episodes go up first, so you actually get a little bit of a, of a jump start on the podcast if you follow us on SoundCloud. Um, uh, we're on Twitter. It's at Blood and Black Rum with an N. And um, you can tweet us on there, follow us, let us know what you think about the show. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. And we also have a group as well. So if you want to join the group, it's a little bit easier to have discussions in there. Uh, just search for us. Uh, it's on there as a group. Um, we have an email. You can email us at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. We appreciate any suggestions that you have for us. Uh, you can let us know what kind of films that you want to see us cover on the next episodes. Um, so give us a shout. We love to hear from you. Uh, we're also on Patreon and Patreon is a service that you can subscribe to. Uh, you can donate to us as much or as little as you want. Uh, we have certain goal levels that you will get specific things for if you reach that uh, monthly 
uh, donation. Um, so for a dollar, you know, we'll give you a shout out and, uh, $5 will let you pick some, some, uh, movies that we'll cover $10. We'll do a whole script reading, things like that. We're also looking to do some bonus episodes for Patreon subscribers if we get enough. Um, so keep that in mind, help us out with donations. It helps us keep the podcast running. So we really appreciate anybody who can, and can give to us for there, but it's definitely not a necessity. You don't have to give any money. We're happy to do this for free. So thanks for listening. Um, like I said, next week we'll be back with the Jello. What happened? What have you done to Solange? And in subsequent episodes, we will be doing uh, Jello action, like dread, and even more. So thank you for listening to the Blood and Black Rum podcast. Uh, we hope to see you next time. Uh, I've been Ryan, and this is Martin. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Take care, guys. Take care. <laughs>